Welcome to the Crossing Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at thecrossing.cc. Good morning. Man, we really did have a great time at the, uh, at the chili kickoff yesterday, fellas. You did a great job. Again, Brandon, Brad, you guys did great. And... Uh, gang, we've got uh, our Easter services are coming at us. We're going to have a, a, an 8, 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11.15. This place will be packed. Uh, every service about like this uh, will have well over 1,000 folks. And what that means is we've got too small a building to service that many people. And we're going to need all hands on deck. There will be some folks here that the only time that they uh, come to church, and we're not shaming anybody or anything, thank God they'll come. Uh, so we're, we want to welcome some folks very warmly, but gang, very seriously, uh, the folks that come just a couple of times a year, their only chance to come to know Jesus Christ might be this Easter, and there will be probably 40 or 50 people that get born again over the Easter weekend, and I don't mean to limit it that way, but I, I'm just saying there's a good number of people that are going to be born again and are going to enter eternity and have their eternal destinies set because of how we host. We recognize that it's the Holy Spirit that does the big work, but we create the atmosphere to welcome both him and them to put them together. So why am I saying all this is because a lot of it's just very, very practical. We're going to need lots of people to help us welcome, open doors, smiling face, create an atmosphere so that when they walk on the parking lot, they're immediately, their spirits lift. Are you, right? Are you with me? So, uh, and in order to do that, we're going to need a bunch of you that currently aren't serving. You don't open doors or you're not on a serve team and you're thinking, you know, I'm, I'm busy or whatever. I completely understand. Uh, I'm asking that for this particular weekend that we could have a lot more people help us specifically for that weekend. Serve one service, attend one service. This Friday night, everybody who would like to be a part of that, we'll coach you up, we'll find you a place that you're comfortable, and we'll put you to work and take all the mystery out so that when you show up Easter in your Easter bonnet and your, your hip dress and all that, you'll know right where you need to go, who you need to see, and how you can serve to help somebody else come to know Jesus, all right? So for everybody who's currently serving Friday night, 6.30, I think we're having a ribeye steak and lobster or, or something. <laughs> Uh, and some leftover chili on Friday night. And, uh, but also, if you're not currently serving, uh, but you're thinking, you know, man, I, I need to help on this. Please help us out, because there's going to be a bunch of people get born again. And the scripture says, if you give a cup of water in the name of a prophet, you get a prophet's reward. So listen, the people that are in the nursery right now get just as big a reward as me, who just stands up here and gives the voice to uh, people that get born again. So uh, come on, let's just, let's just get on board, work together, make a difference together. Praise God, 11.38, okay, I, I'm on a mission, and I won't even tell you what it is, because that takes time, but my mission, well, I will tell you. I've got to get these messages down so that we can do three on Easter, and so I'm practicing today on y'all. Open your Bibles, Revelation chapter one. Uh, we are in this Jesus series, and uh, we're looking at different encounters with Jesus, because uh, I, I want us to get to know Jesus in a very, very fresh way, and I'll go ahead and tell you right now, I'm not going to come up with anything new to tell you for most of you. Probably 80% of this congregation, you've been uh, believers for you know two or three or four years minimum, and some of you have been believers for 100, 100 years. And uh, you've, you're not going to hear a new sermon the whole rest of your life as far as new information. 
A fresh revelation of Jesus does not depend on you getting more information. Google, you can get it in, in Google if you want more information. It's an actual personal encounter with the living God. And a part of it has to do not with him getting close to us, because he is. Something happens in our heart that starts to numb up and uh, get a little crusty and get a little calloused. And a fresh revelation of Jesus sometimes is just a necessity after so much repetition. We become so uh, you know, analytical about him that we forget it's a person and it's my spirit with his. And we want to make that marriage happen. I say make it happen. I can't make it happen. But what I'm praying is that your hearts, Paul prayed this way. I pray that the, the eyes of your heart would be enlightened and that you would be filled with a spirit of wisdom and understanding of God. And uh, that's a thing that happens inside of you. And I, the spirit of the living God is in this room right now helping all of us. And so uh, don't feel shame by that anyway. If you've been in church a long time and you're going, ah, I'm tired of church and tired of the songs and all that, well, maybe you should be a little ashamed of that. But um, <laughs> I'm just saying we all go through times where just the routine takes the realness out of it. And, uh, but it's up to us to, you know, you're responsible for your soul. So uh, take some responsibility, kind of lean in and, uh, and also... Let's get to know Jesus afresh. I promise you, you don't, I don't know everything there is to know about Jesus. I know very little, actually. It fills my brain, but there's so much to learn about Jesus and God. And you know, he's put what we can take in the Bible, but there's much more to be learned, all right? So let's just open to that. In fact, can we just pray, Heavenly Father, would you come by your spirit right now? Jesus, would you walk in these aisles, and would you reach out with your hand personally and touch lives, open up hearts? And I specifically pray for hearts that feel very isolated, and uh, our very go through the motion, and again, no shame, Lord. We, we're humans, and uh, but I ask in Jesus' name for a softening of the heart and a fresh revelation that our eyes could see, that our eyes could be open. We love you, Jesus. We want to know you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Book of Revelation. Uh, this is speaking of a revelation of Jesus. This is the only book in the Bible that starts with the sentence, uh, "The revelation of Jesus Christ." We understand the book of Revelation, those of you that are new to, to faith, and many of you are, are KG veterans, we know that the book of Revelation is a, is a revelation from Jesus about how the end, the end of the world and how the, the world is going to wrap up. Just so you know, uh, the world is not going to remain in the state that it's in right now. God created the planet and the way people relate to each other the way that he wanted it and the way we relate to him. We fail, we broke that, a curse was put on this planet, and this planet is the result now of two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness working overtime and the kingdom of light at war on this planet. There is evil, we'll never escape it all. There is harm, there is sickness, there's death, there's disease, there's war. There's all kinds of evil because of the selfishness and self-centeredness of humankind at war with God. God, at this moment, this dispensation, he has said, I invite you to surrender your will to mine and join me in my will. It all has to do with the human will. Please hear me. You get to, at this dispensation, make a decision, and he warmly and lovingly invites you and says, decide to follow me now. That puts you in sync with my will and in the kingdom of light. Anybody who does not choose to do that, who, who maintains their willful uh, resistance to his will, will ultimately, the book of Revelations uh, shows us, there will be a violent separation. Right now, it's a welcome, it's an invitation to his will. 
when Jesus returns and after that, there will be an imposing by the supreme power that is an imposing of his will to restore this planet to its rightful designed place. And Revelations, the book of Revelations, describes to the degree we can with metaphor and imagery and all kinds of things. We got all kinds of charts and people trying to understand as we should. But I promise you, nobody's chart is exactly right. Nobody's interpretation is exactly right. It's going to be very messy as the God of heaven imposes his will on this planet and on mankind and forcibly separates the kingdom of light from the kingdom of darkness and ultimately restores this planet to the place that he desired it to be where those who have surrendered their will to him can live for all eternity. You like Colorado? Praise God. You can ask for, to live in Colorado. You like Montana? Wherever you want to live. You know, I say, well, I don't know. I don't know. Wherever he wants you to live. But I can just tell you, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Most of the time when we go to the book of Revelation, we are looking for the clues to the, the, the revelation of how this is all going to shake out. And it's very intriguing, and, and we ought to study it all we can. Very intriguing. Today, I want to talk about not the revelation from Jesus, but the revelation of Jesus, because we get in touch with the person Jesus, not the one confined with skin and 5'10 and 165 pounds, and I'm sure Jesus was very in shape. He, was, he ate Mediterranean food, so he was very healthy. He walked everywhere he went, and he, used, he, he, was, a, he was a blue-collar physical labor guy. I promise you, he could whip anybody in here. Uh, I'll tell you this, too. He still can. Uh, including the devil and just, uh, he, he can whip anything. So uh, that's kind of what I want to talk about is because Jesus in the book of Revelation reveals himself to us in a very unvarnished, unbridled way to let us know, I am Jesus, meek and mild, sweet, savior, and all of that. I am that, but I'm big and bad, and I'm the creator of the universe, and my power and my authority is so supreme. When I impose my will, there, you are helpless, you, you cannot fight the will of God. Best now, and I will just say this, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, uh, he loves you and he wants to save you, but a part of it is a willful decision. The only thing he has, has not imposed upon you is that you get to decide. Right now, you get to decide because in order to love him, you, he has to be your choice. And uh, I trust that the Holy Spirit's at work even in this room right now. In the book of Revelation, there is a depiction of him. It's in Revelation chapter five. We won't turn there because I'm determined to make my timeline today. But it is my favorite uh, metaphor for, for Jesus when he describes himself this way. Actually, uh, an angel describes him. One of the elders describes him in Revelation chapter five. He says this, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the lion. Everybody say lion of the tribe of Judah. The Old Testament depicts and forecasts God as a lion and uses that metaphor. But the only place in the New Testament is here in the book of Revelation. And, it, and it's uh, it, it representative because of how we see him imposing his will. I want you to know that a lion imposes his will on his territory. I was reading some things on uh, some scientists that were talking about one of the writers said, here on the Savannah, I have learned lions are not here to get along or share. They're here to dominate. And when you think of Jesus, you just need to know he has a domain and it's called his kingdom. Yes. And ultimately his kingdom will fully encompass the entire planet. And he will not be here to get along. He is here to dominate. 
Here's some other good news. Y'all are little lions and little lionesses. And we're not here to get along in a politically correct way with the spirit of, the, of, of darkness or with the kingdom of darkness. We're here to take over. We're here to dominate. And so, uh, and, and that sounds all, we think of that in a fleshly terms like this. It isn't that way. It's by the spirit and by the one for, for whom we are the ambassador. We are to put flags everywhere we go and say, at this moment and in this time and over this situation, Jesus is the Lord and the King, and this is his kingdom. This is his territory. And everywhere you walk, you have the right to do that. Roar a little bit when you go into a restaurant. Roar. Man, the kingdom, the lion of the tribe of Judah and one of his cubs, backed fully by the king. This message is called the Lion King I just, and this is going to take me two, maybe, yeah, it's got to, I got to do it in two weeks because Easter's coming. So uh, anyway, so Revelation chapter one, I'll make some sense of this. Uh, verse nine, John begins the letter. He says, I, John, with you all the way in the trial and in the kingdom and the passion of patience in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of God's word, the witness of Jesus. He had been banished there because of his preaching of the word. It was Sunday, and I was in, in the spirit praying. I heard a loud voice behind me, trumpet clear and piercing. Write what you see into a book. Send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. I turned and saw the voice. I saw a gold menorah with seven branches, and here's what he saw. Verse 13, and in the center, the Son of Man, that is Jesus, in a robe and a gold breastplate, hair a blizzard of white, Eyes pouring fire blaze, both feet furnished fire bronzed, his voice a cataract. A cataract is the sound of a waterfall, a great waterfall. His right hand, the seven stars, his mouth a sharp biting sword, his face a perigee. And a perigee is the place where the sun is at its closest point in the orbit to the earth. In other words, so bright and so blinding, a sun. Verse 17, I saw this and I fainted dead at his feet. His right hand pulled me upright. His voice reassured me, don't fear. I am the first, I'm the last. I'm alive, I died, but I came back to life, and my life is now forever. See these keys in my hands? They open and lock death's door. They open and lock hell's gates. And we will stop there for today. The lion of the tribe of Judah showed up and here's what I want you to understand about an encounter with the lion, with the lion of the tribe of Judah, with our Jesus. It is both terrifying and tender. It is both terrifying and tender. We've worked the last 30 or 40 years to describe Jesus in a way that is palatable to more of a mass of people. And so we've not emphasized at all the, the, the terrifying event of coming face to face, man in flesh and sin to God, holy and all powerful. We've tried to remove that sense of, my gosh, and the awe and the, the fear. And we've, again, we've created an image of God in, in our image, made him human and tame and kind of cool and kind of laid back and kind of, oh, it's okay and my bad and all that kind of stuff. And he's not that. He was that. He, he wasn't anything I just described, but he was in human skin. We get a revelation of Jesus Christ as he is this moment, glorified in heaven. We get the picture we're gonna look at and we're gonna see, and it's how he is right now. It's not that he's not kind and loving and all of those things, but he is also all-powerful, all-authority, 
fully capable of judging and carrying out justice, fully supreme in all ways to all humankind. And we can't remove that. If you remove how uh, superior he is from us, you dilute what it means to be loved by him. I mean, if he's just one more of us, well, then what's the big deal about being loved by him? In, the, in our attempts to try to make him easier to, to take and taking all the, you know, we've taken the sting out of him, what we've done is actually diluted what's the, the power of grace and the value of salvation. Saved from what? From him? Well, when you see him as he is, it is both terrifying and tender at the same time. If you remove this, honestly, a lot of times what we do is remove the actual impetus and the motivation, the conviction to understand it is, it is him with whom I have to deal when you realize his authority, it creates a conviction that causes your knee to bow. Listen, a real revelation of Jesus, you don't have to discipline yourself to bow. Everybody that ever faced Jesus fell flat as if dead before him. Why? Because they didn't go, you know, I think the right thing to do right now is to bow down. They, no one had to teach them any protocols. They realized he's all powerful. I realized my smallness and I fall before him. I will tell you, I had an experience with Jesus when I was 19 years old, and I'll describe that here in a second. And it was, Pastor, did you see Jesus? I did. And I encountered him. And I, it's happened once in my life, and it's as clear to me today as it was the, the, the night I woke up sweating and repenting. And, here's, and, and was there anything, did I feel loved in the moment? No, I was terrified. It took me weeks to start to undo this, and it's taking me years to recognize the power of having an all-powerful God and actually being related to him. When I get close to him, the only thing that keeps me alive and keeps me from being consumed is his grace. If you want to understand the, the awesomeness of what grace actually does, it keeps you alive and capable of being related to a being that's so superior and so much more powerful than you are. That's the power and the beauty of grace. It's got many beauties. But the fact that John didn't die, uh, Lamentations says this, it says, uh, but for the mercies and the compassions of God, I would be consumed. Why would you be consumed if it's just another guy? It's because the one with whom we deal, he is God Almighty. He spoke and the sun was set in place. If we took all the nuclear warheads that all of the brilliance of man have put together and exploded them all at the same time, it would burn for about the same amount of power. It would give off four seconds of the power that the sun has been giving off and continues to give off perpetually by the words and the voice of God. This, the creator of that not the creator of the nuclear warheads that we've made, which are impressive, but compared to that, that's whom we have to deal. And here's the great thing. That powerful God who could crush us, dismiss us, burn us, he loves us, and he's, he wants you in relationship with him. But we can't take away the fact that he is so supreme, and it should cause our heart uh, to be stirred and to be broken Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. And I would simply compare God to the ocean, if you will. It's a poor comparison. It's the best I can come up with, though. Ocean's a beautiful thing. 
The Bible says that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And uh, if you've ever been on the ocean, most of us have. It's beautiful. It's stunning. You can ski on it. You can fish in it. You can take a cruise on it. You can play on the beach. You can do all kinds of things. But rarely does anybody walk up to the ocean and compare themselves to it and go, I'm pretty big stuff. I'm pretty hot stuff. When you come up on an ocean and you're looking out over the vastness of that water, you start to feel your own smallness. And even though you can swim in it and you can eat a lobster out of it and you can go snorkel and see mysteries of beauty and fish that, 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 are, that are stunning, all of that's there to be enjoyed. But if you don't respect the power of that ocean, if you've ever snorkeled, and Stacey and I have done it multiple times and these things, you start to feel those currents and here's what you need to know about those currents. If the ocean decided to take you away you would be powerless to do anything about it. It would take you out to sea, put you in a place where no, no human being with any amount of technology will ever find you again if that ocean determines you're mine. Yeah. Are you tracking with me? And if you've ever felt those currents and gotten yourself scared out there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can't stop it. It's bigger than you, more powerful. Here's the deal. The fear of the ocean is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah. Right. You can enjoy it. You hear what I'm saying? There's a way to enjoy it and a way to appreciate it, and the way to relate to it. But if you're dumb, you're gonna get killed out there and we'll never find you again. God is vast and he's awesome and he's wonderful and he's kind and he's pleasant and he will come down and he'll get as small as you need him to be to get down right where you're at. But don't take it for granted. He's vast and he's all-consuming. The scripture tells us this, don't fear man who can just kill your body, fear God who can kill you and send your soul to hell. Again, we avoid those passages of Scripture. Don't avoid, in the New Testament, the hard readings. Don't do it. It's not to beat Granny's religion's drum. If it's in the New Testament, if it's there or the Old Testament, it's in the Bible, it matters. And so we need to understand God is not just, he's not just singularly characterized. He's very wide dimension, and we need to embrace all of him. Are you all with me? All right, I'm gonna, it's going to get more fun. Two or three weeks. <laughs> no. Romans 11 just says this, and I'll come off this point. Uh, it says, um, it says, therefore, Romans 11, 19 says, therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God. Consider both of those. Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fell severity, but towards you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise, you will also be cut off. God ultimately will judge. He will separate. And uh, he, he, again, he's not a YMCA kind of God where everybody's gonna get a trophy. He, there will actually be a separation. And God bless the YMCA. Please, no, no emails there. I get it. Uh, just. All right. So a, a lion roars. And what I, what I pictured here as I read this, this revelation and was ro rolling this over is, if you will, the lion of the tribe of Judah showed up. And one of the things a lion does over his territory, a lion can have uh, as little as 15 square miles, which makes sense to me, but he can have a territory as vast as 400 square miles that is his territory. And a lion will sometimes jog its, its perimeters, and he will make a noise. It's called oofing. Oh, I speak uh, lion like... Greek and Hebrew as well. 
but I, I was watching these, you know, these zookeepers talk about these lions, and uh, what they're doing is when a lion's trotting, one, he's making sure every other rival understands, don't come on my territory. How many of you know you're his territory? Don't jack with this. That's what that lion is saying. Don't mess with me. I will whip you. And so he goes about and he will roar, and, uh, but he'll, he'll, he'll call. What he's doing is he starts to call his pride to himself. When he wants to identify, where's all of my pride? My pride, not, you understand what pride is, it's his family. Not pride as in a bad thing or a good thing. A lion pride. Every one of y'all are part of it, of the, of the lion of Judah. He'll call to them and he'll send it out. And sometimes he'll roar. The roar can be heard for as much as five miles away. And what he wants to do is all his little juvenile male lions that are out there goofing off, chasing antelope, he's wanting to get their attention. Hey, daddy wants your attention. Come in here. All his, his again, uh, they, uh, so here's where the metaphor breaks down. A lion is a polygamist, has lots of girlfriends and lots of wives, so it stops right there. But nonetheless, when he wants to call his, uh, when he wants to call the ladies in, uh, he'll, he'll, oh, he'll do his thing. And they can hear him from way off and they come in. I want you to know this. Uh, John is on the Isle of Patmos and he has to describe to the reader what Patmos was because nobody knew what a Patmos was. It's an island to the west of Turkey. It's a, 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 a volcanic island, so very little trees on it. And it was a penal colony for the Romans to send uh, guys that they just wanted to do away with and forget about them. So they had sent John out here. John, at this point, it's been 60 years since he saw the feet of Jesus rise and ascend. John himself is likely close to 90 years old at this point when, when he starts to write this. White beard, white hair, the breezes from the Aegean Sea blowing through there, white cane in his hand, and in essence, here's, I believe, what, what's going on in him. He's thinking, you know, it's been a good ride. Seen some wonderful things. 60 years ago, Jesus and I, we were like this. I'm all the beloved and all that, and I think I convinced everybody that I was his favorite, and so I got that done. I'm out here. I've built some churches. I've helped Ephesus. I've, I've helped a bunch of places. I'm 90 years old. All the other apostles have been martyred. Anybody that could relate to, to how he is, all of his friends, they're gone. He is alone, alone, alone vision for his future. He's 90 years old, and he's thinking, it's been a good ride, you know? I'm going to live it out out here. I'm going to die on this island alone. What he didn't know was he was within the territory. Uh, scripture calls it a kingdom. He was within the, the, the Lion King's kingdom, and on, on a particular day, it was actually a, a Sunday, he was praying, and he hears the Lion King. Rawr. Where are you at, cub? Because you're not alone. You're not done. I'm not through with you, and you're not gonna die here. I'm here to use you again. And in fact, we're gonna write the weirdest book I can come up with. I'm gonna, you're gonna freak people out. You think you're gonna be able to doze off while I'm giving you this interpretation? You're gonna be so freaked out, John. We're about to do something Better than, better, better than Disney World. It's going to take you on a ride. And, and Jesus begins to take him through different scenes and patterns of heaven and the end times and all, all kinds of... Listen, I want you to know, at 90 years old, the, adrenal, the adrenaline of that man was firing again. He was wide awake. 
and he was feeling, the king has come and beckoned me. Coach, put me back on the field. Give me my helmet and my pads. I'll go out there with them young bucks. Put me in the game. Here's what I believe about some folks right in here. Some of you have felt like, you know what? I've done what I'm going to do. I work my job. I go to work. Come home. I watch the news. I go to bed. I get up in the morning. I go to work. Ah, it, what else is there? This, this is the ultimate, this is what my life's gonna achieve. Some of you have reached ages where you think, you know what, it's been a good run. I'm gonna go pick up seashells on the seashore and hit golf balls. And it feels fairly pointless, but you know what, no one seems to be interested in what an old man has to say. Well, I will tell you, somebody is. Yes. And you have been brought to this service and to this very moment right here to hear the Lion King call to you and say, hey, young lion, you're young to him. When you're eternal, everybody's young. I'm not done with you. There's things for you to do. I got plans for you, and you're not done. There's some folks in here that feel very isolated. You're in this crowd, but there's a certain aloneness that you live with, and you've just interpreted. You know, sometimes every, all of us have a lonely spot, places where love just can't get to just because of whatever we've been through or how we're wired or whatever, and we hope that humans can find a way to reach it, and the truth is all of us have some unreachable spots in our soul that can't, love can't seem to penetrate to it, and if we're not careful with how we manage it, instead of it's something we feel, it's something we become, and we just are lonely. We are alone. We identify as that and probably all of us have had some struggle with that, that aloneness has been put there as, as a way to help you find God. It's one more way that we, we, we can say, man, something's hurting, and I don't have human language for it, and I, my, you know, as, as well as Stacy knows me and I know her, there are places in her soul that I can't get to. I'm not the answer to it. Some of you that are in marriage right now are fussing and fighting because what you're really demanding of the other is for them to touch that, and they can't. It's not that they don't want to. They can't. I've got to get healthy with God before I can be for Stacy what she really needs, and I can't provide. I am not her everything. God is her everything. I just help him, right? So that's a help for somebody's marriage right there. When I was uh, 19 years old, I was in that time of transition, and some of you young men and young ladies are close to that, 17, 18, and 19. You start to transition, and I was raised in the church. Church was good, and it was good and bad. It was all kinds of things, but uh, I'd gone to church camp, had some experiences with Jesus, but at 18 and 19, I was at that point where here's what I figured out. I am old enough to do any sin I want to, and my parents can't stop me. Anybody remember that? Remember when the light came on? I mean, it came on several years earlier, but I always was so afraid of God that I, I tried to, you know, I was just trying to make heaven because I thought every time I sinned, I was going to get kicked out. So I'm working hard, but I'm here on a college town. I'm legal, of, I'm of legal age, and all of a sudden, I start to, to sense uh, this this, it, was, it was a time of transition. Everybody knows 17, 18, and 19. You're leaving. You're no longer the high school, whatever you were. That seems like it ends the night you graduate, and all of a sudden, you're lost again. Like, wait a minute, who am I? And now you're getting into the college years, and you get to reinvent yourself if you didn't like who you were in college. But man, there's something that drops in your identity. I was in that little zone, if some of you can recall that. And uh, I, I had found some sin that I really liked. 
and, uh, and it was plenty available. And, uh, and it would temporarily numb the sense of, God, I, I like you, I think I love you, but there's, I, 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 it's hopeless. I, there, I'll never be good enough for you. I just never will be good enough for you. That's how I felt. And uh, so I, at age 16, I had walked an aisle and said, I commit to the call of God on my life at a church camp in Kerrville. I, I, whatever you want me to do, I, I said that prayer. And at 19, I was hoping he forgot. He didn't. Uh, it was, it was a, I thought it was just a dream, but uh, I know it was a vision because here's the thing I've, I've learned over these years is I, I've had thousands of dreams and can't remember the detail. Uh, when I speak of this, it's as if it happened last night uh, because it was a visit from Jesus to me personally. I was uh, in a crowd of people, and there was a, uh, it was like there was a parade, and it started way up the, road, uh, up, up the way here. I just saw the, the backs of people's heads, and they were all looking to try to see who was coming down this parade aisle, and I knew that it was Jesus somehow in this, this dream. There was a split in the, in the, in the uh, oceans of people, and uh, there was one beam of light that was so strong, it was just a straight beam of light, and somehow in the dream, I understood that's the face of Jesus, because as he was walking, that beam of light, the beam of light was coming past me like this. That beam of light was just like in the rhythm of a man's head who would be walking. And so that beam of light was coming here. Automatic pastor, were you cheering? No, I, I was not cheering. I was terrified, because I had a sense that I'm not, you know, if you're going to meet with Jesus, you want to have two or three good days of just serious righteousness, you know, kind of dress up for the occasion. Like, you know, if we're going to bring something up, let's hope it's way in the past. I was not in shape to meet with Jesus this particular night, and he didn't seem to, he just was so inconvenient the way he barged right in, but he, I could see that light coming this way, and so here was my thought. I'm going to just push as far away from that light as I can, and I'm going to hide behind these people. But everything inside of me was just as fe- I just thought, oh, Jesus, man, I hope you don't see me. So the light's coming down. The people are cheering as, as he's coming close, and I'm terrified, thinking, oh, my God. And it's just a beam of light, and uh, I'm hiding and thinking, just pass on by, and I'm kind of turning, waiting, and it stops. It just stops right out here in front of me. And I'm trying to duck down. And all of a sudden, I see that beam of light just start to turn a little bit, like it's searching. It's looking up. It's looking all over. Man, I knew. Oh, my God. It kept turning. It got more frantic. I kept trying to hide more and more, and I felt Jesus walk right up to me. I didn't see his face, didn't see his feet. I knew it was the figure of a man, but all I saw was light. And the power of that light was so bright and I knew I was just, the only thing I can describe it as, it wasn't what I saw, it was what I, what I experienced. The Bible calls that his glory, it's the Hebrew word kabod, it means weight, a weighty glory. That's an understatement. The power of that light was so heavy, it pinned me so easily, I was, there was nothing I could do. Absolutely helpless. What I sensed was I'm completely powerless. I'm completely helpless at the presence of this majestic God. And he has found me. And I'm about to get in trouble. And about the time that I thought, oh my God, I I, I don't know what to do. I woke up sweating and praying the rest of the night. 
I tried to put it off, as I said, as a dream. As time went on and I kept looking back, I realized, no, the lion of the tribe of Judah knew where I was, knew what I was doing, knew what I was thinking, yes. remembered what I had told him. I was his territory. I was in the pride. I was in the kingdom. Terrifying? That's all I could think of at first. But here's the thing. The longer I lived and would recall that moment, I can get in, I can get in touch emotionally with the terror as I talk about it. But here's the thing. My, I was scared of my dad. My dad growing up, Warden Harvey, was, he was mean. He was just flat mean. When he, when he got angry, there wasn't a one, a three, a five, and a 10. There was zero or 10. So whether you, it was a piece of bubble gum or you broke a lamp or you wrecked the car, he was going straight to a 10. When I say a 10, I mean, you, none of the, we didn't use these words spanking or timeout. Where did that goofy stuff come from? Uh, anyway, hallelujah. I'm glad y'all used that on your children. My, my father missed the books, didn't watch, well, I don't know. He, he only knew one way of thinking. He'd get a belt, and my dad would just, tick, just, just tear you up. And so I remember these, they weren't spankings, they were whippings, just short of beatings. And uh, uh, so here's the deal. As a kid growing up, I had enormous fear of him when he would, if you, when, when, when the lion would roar, I was like those little cubs you've seen in the video that would be like that, like, no, daddy, don't hit me, daddy. But here's what it also was doing. Uh, we, we lived on a prison farm, and people would ask me all the time, what, what if the inmates come in your house? I'd be like, it'd be a Scooby snack for my dad. <laughs> I mean, I've dealt with my dad, and the fact that he was strong to me, at the same time, it created a safety, a sense of safety. The fact that I had the experience that I had, I've heard the lion roar, and I'm not talking about a, a physical sound. I'm talking about I've sensed the presence of power and authority unlike anything on this planet. And the beauty is this, anytime I have some other fear that starts to come up, because I've experienced what it is to fear something worthy of real fear, it makes this almost insulting to him that I would fear tomorrow or not having enough or being beaten up or anything else like that. Yeah. Here's what I'd say to all of you, and I, I'll, I'll bring the plane down with this. We're gonna continue with this thought because I'm so intrigued with this lion. But I, I will tell you this, lions roar for, for, for many, many reasons, and sometimes it's to comfort. It's to, to go across their territory to say, hey, look, back off my territory. The Bible calls the devil. It doesn't say he's a lion. It says he's like a lion seeking whom he may devour. He's a faux lion. We serve a real lion. And once you have a proper fear of him, there, you, you won't even consider being afraid of the devil. It's just there's no comparison. If you don't get this part right, though, you'll get tricked over here. When you know the real lion and the real lion's roar, this little kitty cat over here, you'll go, stupid devil. Saw this video of a, a particular lion that was out. It must have lasted 20 minutes. took forever. And he had got out, and about 25 hyenas had surrounded him. And man, I love, by the way, I love lions. They're beautiful. And man, he got that look. You ever seen them? They put their mane out, and they back up, and they put their chest out, but their eyes become just fire. And he's fighting off these hyenas, but there was just too many of them. And they're biting. You can see this, this big cat bleeding. 
And it's a little sad watching this, but he would look at one and go, rawr, rawr. he'd give that, that roar, rawr. fight a little longer, and it goes on and on, and uh, no way to get away from it. All of a sudden, this camera pans out, and in the distance, you see this male lion, big old thing, that trot, just like, oh, daddy's coming, trotting. That mane was going back and forth like that, and those eyes again, those eyes of fire that John saw. I ain't playing. And man, when that, that big lion started to come up there, here's what that, those hyenas thought, 20 of us against one, we might be able to take him. 20 of us against two, we better get the heck out of here. That other male lion came jogging up there, and both of those lions, they just took off chasing those hyenas. And uh, then, then it shows them actually just playing and being like, like brothers. Here's what I want you to know. Everybody here, God knows exactly where you are. And some of you here are in a fight, and you feel like you're, you haven't been noticed, you haven't been seen. He doesn't know what you're going through. God brought you here today to let you know, little lion cub and little lioness, he knows exactly where you're at. There's no place you can go. The scripture tells us this. I'll bring the plane down. It says, uh, oh man, I've left out so much for the sake of time. But okay, Hebrews chapter four says, word of the Lord is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Verse 13 says this. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You are here today, and it can be over time feel like God does not He's forgotten about me, and I'm done. And here's, 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 here's our message today. The, 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 our alpha male, our lion king, knows his territory, and he knows if you're in it and if you're not in it. And if you're in the kingdom, if you're a part of his kingdom, he will protect you. He will provide for you. And there is nothing bigger than he is in his kingdom. If he chose to fight outside his kingdom, he would do just fine. But he has a territory that he has called his kingdom. The question for us is, if you're in the kingdom, do you know you're noticed, and do you need the nurturing? David said, why so downcast, O my soul? Uh, the word downcast is the, is the picture of a sheep that has been turned up on its back, and it begins to lose feelings in its little legs, and a downcast sheep, if a, if a shepherd doesn't find him and turn him back over, he will become prey to the animals because his, his extremities numb up. They just goes, go to sleep, and he can't get himself back up. A predator will find him. Jesus leaves the 90 and 9, and he will come and take a sheep like that and flip it back over. Yes. Some of you are here today, and your heart has just grown absolutely numb, and you can't save yourself. And you're all fooey about church and fooey about me and fooey about worship and fooey about that. You want to feel again, but you can't make it happen. Here's the great thing. The good shepherd can get to you and find you. you that's why David said, why are you so downcast, oh, my soul? Put your hope in God. And then he says this, deep, Psalm 42, read it for yourself. Deep calls unto deep like the sound of waterfalls. There's that thing of that cataract, the waterfalls. That's that sound of a lion, deep calling to deep. This morning, the lion of the tribe of Judah is calling deep to deep, like the sound of a waterfall. Oh, where are you at? I know where you're at. Deep is calling to deep this morning. Would you stand to your feet, prayer teams to the front? If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as Savior, 
in what we've talked about that would put you outside the kingdom of God at this point. It's your choice. It's not about joining the church or being baptized. Or It really is about you saying, I want, I want to return home. Really, it's about saying, I, I recognize an orphaned spirit. I'm missing something. There's some place where love I haven't been able to get touched. And I need something bigger than me to get to it. Part of what salvation is, is surrendering your life to God through Jesus Christ, coming home to your Father through what Jesus has provided and allowing him to save your life and your soul. And if you would like to be saved this morning, I'm gonna lead the entire church in a prayer. And if you would simply say, God, I don't get all this, I can't explain it all. My mind can't wrap around it. However, I do know this, something in my spirit is so hungry to know you. Would you please receive me as a son or daughter? With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if that's you today, I'm gonna lead us all in a prayer before we dismiss. And this could be the moment where you say, I wanna be in the kingdom. I wanna be in your territory. And I wanna be restored to a relationship with you, God, through what Jesus has done. If that's you, as we all pray together, sincerely reach out to God through this prayer. Everyone praying after me, Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner and I've sinned against you and I'm fully responsible. Please forgive me. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He lived for me. He bled for me. And He died for me to pay for my sin so that I could be saved. I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. And I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I surrender my life to you. I'm submitted. You're in charge. Do anything you want with my life. And thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. All heads bowed and all eyes closed. If you just prayed that prayer very sincerely and gave your life to Christ, would you lift your hand very boldly right where you're at and just say, I've given my life to Christ. Go ahead, be bold. I've given my life to Christ. I see you. I appreciate that. Thank you for your boldness. Thank you for your boldness. Praise God. Thank you for your boldness. Father, thank you for these precious folks this morning that have given their lives to Christ. And thank you, Lord, that you have found many, many of us. You've found the lost, but you've also found some people that are of the kingdom, but their soul has just gone stale. I speak life to that, and I speak a fresh revelation for all of us in the name of Jesus. Lord, our final act of worship is to bring our tithes and our offerings and I ask God as well, would you be glorified, Lord, as we've sung to you, as we've spoken to you, as we've clapped our hands, and now as we bring our finances to you to say, God, would you receive this as an act of faith and an act of worship and an act of obedience? Receive our tithes and our offerings, Lord God, and thank you that you're providing for our new building. You are providing for it. This is your project. Lord, I pray blessings over this Friday night and blessings, Lord God, over the Easter weekend. I ask in Jesus' name, Lord, be glorified. Let many people come to know Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Find more of our podcasts on iTunes or in our audio library at thecrossing.cc.